Now this week, uh, we saw the release of a new streaming service. You guys saw this, right? Disney Plus. You can now watch every Disney cartoon you want forever for the low, low price of $7 or whatever it is. Uh, A couple weeks ago, there was Apple TV Plus. I guess these are all really cool things because they have to add a plus after their name. Um, And then next year, there's already plans for all kinds of other streaming services coming out. And, And that's on top of the ones we already have. We have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Amazon Prime. And it really feels like, wow, we just have endless choices here when it comes to finding something to watch at the sporting event. We want to watch a game, whatever. It's just so many different ways that we can watch stuff. It's way different from when I was a kid. Uh, you, just, you just got what you got, and that was it. So, um, you know, I remember we, we used to, you guys ever go to a video rental store, and you would do like the five movies for five days for 10 bucks or whatever? Yeah, nobody does that anymore, I don't think so. Uh, still a good deal, though. <laughs> Pretty good deal. Um, but, but even with all of these options that we have, uh, I don't know if this is just me, but what happens when you sit down to pick something out to watch? Man, sometimes it just takes forever. There's so many things. They're like, there's so many choices here. I don't really know what to pick. And and. I don't know, you hear about shows from your friends or reviews or stuff you see online, and you're like, oh, this show is supposed to be really good, and, but then there's this other one, and I need to start doing that, and there's six seasons of it, so if i I got to like be prepared to invest myself all this time, uh, it's just overwhelming that there's so many choices, and then we're like, if I'm not watching something, everyone else is maybe talking about it, and there's maybe this low-level anxiety that you have that you're missing out on a good show, and you've wasted your time on some other show. It really can be stressful and then at the end of the night you've spent three or four hours watching a show you know how, how do you feel at that point I, I can't recall being like I'm really satisfied and just fulfilled with the way that I've spent my time it's usually just like should I watch another one or should I go to bed either way tomorrow is going to be difficult to wake up in the morning uh, the main character of one of these shows that we're talking about, it's a British show called Fleabag. Uh, her, her character, I think, embodies in many ways what happens when we live a life uh, with these limitless choices. Uh, her, the story that's told of her character is one of uh, endless self, selfish decisions. And, and essentially every relationship that she has has been left in ruins, and, and she is stubborn. She, she won't acknowledge her, her own brokenness, her own dysfunction in her life. And, and at some point, she just has this heart-wrenching moment where she has come to a church, and she's in the confessional booth of the church, and she says to the priest, I want someone to tell me what to wear every morning. I want someone to tell me what to eat, what to like what to hate, what to rage about, what to listen to, what band to like, what to buy tickets for, what to joke about, what to not joke about. I want someone to tell me what to believe in. I want someone to tell me what to believe in. So for all the freedom that she has exercised and what and, and, and all the endless choices that she's had and, and lived out and experienced, 
What she's really longing for is direction and purpose, a will that is greater and better than, than her own, what she is acknowledging, her own destructive impulses. She has come to recognize that this priest, for all the rules that he must follow and the things that he must abstain from, he's actually much freer than she is, despite her endless choices. And so what is his response? He says, kneel, kneel. And this is, this is true freedom. Now we are in the fifth week of, of a series where we've been walking through the most well-known prayer in human history, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and so Jesus has been teaching us how to pray. How do we approach God? How do we address God? How do we talk to God? And, and first Jesus says, you come to God uh, as, as your father. If you've placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, that you actually get to come to him not as a boss, not as um, a taskmaster, not as a judge, but you approach God as your father. You've been, uh, through faith in Jesus, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And that means you have all the rights and all the privileges of a son or a daughter. And the next Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, we ask God for his name to be hallowed or to be reverenced or to be uh, acknowledged for, for who he is, that, that, that we ask God that for ourselves and for all people, for all of creation, that God would be recognized for who he is, that God alone is God alone, that he's holy, he's awesome, he's glorious. And then next, Jesus uh, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, that, that we would be praying, we are learning to pray that all things now and in the future would come under the rule and reign and authority of God. And so we saw that the kingdom of Jesus has been inaugurated, it's been begun through what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and that that kingdom, that rule and reign will be consummated or fulfilled when Jesus comes again. So in the meantime, we live in this tension uh, of, of being Jesus' people in the world today where Jesus' kingdom is coming to life in our lives, where we are showing the world this is what it looks like when Jesus is the king of our lives. So today we come to the next part of this prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's here in this prayer, in this part of the prayer that Jesus is teaching us that that I think we see that true freedom that the priest was talking about in, in that show, that true freedom is not saying, my will be done, but true freedom is learning to pray, your will be done. True freedom comes when we see God's will done in our own lives. And this comes through pursuing God's will, receiving God's will, and trusting God's will. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we'll begin in verse 9 and go through verse 13. Jesus teaches us to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask now for your will to be done among us and in us this morning. That you would show us who you are, that you are holy and glorious and awesome. That you alone are God alone. And that our lives would be in response to that. that Everything we do and think and believe would be in response to the fact that you are God. You are our King. You are our Savior. And so would your will be done in our lives, in our church, in our community, to help us now as we come to your word, Lord Jesus, and show us the ways that our lives are out of sync, that, that we have been pursuing freedom, we've been, we've been trying to live by our own wills, and that we could see the brokenness that's there, that we would acknowledge it and repent from it, and we would turn to you, Jesus, and learn to pray your will be done in our lives. We ask it in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's begin with, with ourselves. When we pray your will be done, what are we asking God to do? What are we really asking God to do? We're, we're praying, we're asking that, that what God wants, what he desires, that it would be done in our own lives. And then there's a bunch of follow-up questions to this. At least I had them. Uh, how do I know what God's will is? How do I know what God expects from me? And, and then there's more questions that come after that. If if he is God, if he is this holy, awesome God that there's no one like him, then why do I have to pray that what he wants would be done? I mean, if he's God, if he's sovereign, then why can't he just do his will? Why do I need to ask him? Uh, and, and if he can't, if he's not that, then why would I pray at all? Why would I acknowledge him at all as, as God? Is he really God if he can't do those things. So it's true that in, that in one sense, uh, the scriptures show us, the Bible teaches us that God's will is always done. God's will is always done. So the song that we sang a little bit ago, God is sovereign. He rules over all things by his wisdom and his eternal purposes. God has a plan and nothing can stop his plan. There's passages like Psalm 135, verse 6. Help us understand this. Just lay it out for us. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Uh, to, to even see this more clearly, there's Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, where God says, I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel or my will shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So it's clear from scripture that God's will is always done and nothing can stop his purposes. And yet... We look around, we look at the the place that we live, we look at our own lives, and it's very clear, very evident that not everything has worked out according to this plan. Not everything is done 
according to God's will. From, from almost the very beginning of the story in the scriptures, we see a deviation from God's will. We call this the fall. We call it sin, right? It's rebellion against God. And each one of us has rebelled against God in some way. We are all presently, currently living in rebellion against God in in one way or another, big and small ways. So God's will is not being fulfilled in our lives in many ways. And it's pretty evident. It's pretty easy to see. So so then we have these two things here that, that seem to not make sense. They don't seem to go together. So how do we think about God's will in light of this apparent contradiction? Now, it helps to know that we are not the first people to notice this. Isn't that always nice? We're like, okay, somebody else has already thought of this. They've already wrestled with it. And it's, it happens that theologians for hundreds and thousands of years really have have talked about how we can look at God as having two wills. We can look at God as having two wills. First, there is what theologians call God's secret will or his will of decree. So, so that's what we see in those verses from Psalm 135 and Isaiah 46, right? God's sovereign will, that um, his, his secret will means that what God wants to happen will happen. It's fixed, and nothing can change that. The problem is we don't see all of that. Uh, we don't see it from, from God's point of view, right? We see it from our point of view, and so that's why we call it a secret will, because it's not revealed completely to us. To describe this, Kevin DeYoung, he says, what God wills will happen, and what happens is according to God's will. So we can say this is God's secret will or his will of decree. And there's also what theologians call God's revealed will or what we could call his will of desire. This is, this is what we could say are God's commandments. This is, uh, this is what God requires from us. This is the way that God wants us to live. This is the way that we were created or designed to live, the way that things work best. So this is, when we, when we have our Bibles, we can say, this is God's revealed will. This is God's uh, desi- will of desire for me. And we know that the Bible is more than a list of rules, um, but it is also the way that God has revealed to us, here's how I want you to live. If you belong to me, and if God created all of us, he has dominion over each one of us. If, if, this, if that's who you are, if you're made in God's image, this is the way that God wants you to live. And this is the way that your life will work best. So we are required to obey God's revealed will, what he requires and desires of us. So, so this is why we hear Jesus say things like he does in Matthew chapter 7. This is later in the Sermon on the Mount that, that the Lord's Prayer is part of. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. And so he's there speaking about God's revealed will, right? What God desires. If you, if you don't obey the will of the Father then he says you won't, no matter what you call God or, or what you have said, 
It's about how you have lived your life. So God's secret will, or his will of decree, it cannot be stopped, but God's revealed will, or his will of desire, can be disregarded or disobeyed. So when we pray, as Jesus is teaching us, your will be done, we are asking for, we're asking God for an alignment of our lives with God's revealed will, the second will that we're looking at here. We're saying, what you want from me, I want my life to look like that. I want my life to follow in that pattern. Would you make me want what you want, God? And so to pray this is to say, we want to pursue what God wants for us, to receive what he intends for us, and to trust his will for us. So let's, let's look at pursuing God's will. When we pray, your will be done, we're praying that God would lead us into a life of obedience, a life of action, a life of, of following Jesus in tangible ways. Not just, I prayed this prayer and I went to a camp or something when I was younger and that's, that's my life of following Jesus. But, but Jesus is saying, you pray, your, your will be done and that our lives would reflect that through action, activity. Uh, that's what it, what it means to truly follow Jesus. So in this way, we're, we're connecting God's will, which is in heaven, right? We're connecting God's will with the way that we live. Your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven, as you will, as you desire. Now, Jesus is not teaching us fatalism here, He's not teaching us to resign ourselves to saying it is what it is, right? This is not what Jesus is teaching us to do. He's saying pray and live in action that we would connect the way that we live our daily lives with God's good design and his good plan for us. On the night before his final, uh, on, on the night before his death during his final sermon, Uh, Martin Luther King spoke these words near the end of his sermon. And you can go on YouTube and, and watch this. He says, I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. Now, what was he saying there? He knew that his work and his life as a pastor, as a leader in the civil rights movement, he knew that they were controversial. He received so much opposition. But it was his conviction that he was living out of obedience to God, that he was doing God's will. And there was a cost to Martin Luther King's obedience. He paid with his life. Now, bringing your life into alignment with God's will won't always cost you your life but it will always cost you something. When we pray, your will be done, we must be prepared for sacrifice and for surrender, for submission, for doing things that we don't naturally want to do. Like we don't just accidentally start doing these things. That's why we say it's a pursuit of God's will. Here's an example from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a town called Thessalonica, and and he says, this is the will of God. In chapter 4, verse 3, 
here's the will of God for you. You ever wonder, what's God's will for me? Here's a great verse for you. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification or your holiness or your purity. So so here's a clear example of God's revealed will. This is what God desires for us. This is what he intends for us to live holy, pure lives. Now the Apostle Paul, he continues in that passage by saying that God wants us to be holy and how we relate to one another sexually. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. So God desires us to honor him and to honor one another by abstaining from immoral sexual behavior. This does not happen passively, right? He's saying stop doing something, refrain from doing something. This requires sacrifice from us. We all have physical desires. And and we fully acknowledge God is the one who created us. He's the one who's given us our sexual desires. But those desires have been twisted by sin, where we live out of sync with God's design for us. And we're also surrounded by a culture that says, you know, the, any desire that you have sexually essentially is not wrong, and, and you, can, you can pursue those things without any shame or without any fear. So both internally and externally, we are compelled to act in ways that gratify and fulfill our sexual desires. But what is God's will? His desire, his will for us is to live in purity, to abstain from any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and woman. That's God's revealed will to us. It's very clear in Scripture. And this is just one example, but it's difficult, right? It's confrontational. We are being confronted right now. And all of us, in some way, feel the pull to do something other than what God desires, what his will is for us. Some of, some of those things are secret and, and they're pretty minor. They're not things that are very evident. And some of those things are active and they're open uh, ways that we are living contrary to the ways that God has told us to live, the way that he's clearly laid it out for us. This is not God's secret will that we're talking about here. It's clearly laid out for us in the scriptures. Read, read the New Testament letters. We say, well, Jesus abolished, he got rid of all these rules and we just live in love. But it's clear that a life of following Jesus, God's revealed to us, here's what a life of following Jesus looks like. And that's where we have all these commandments that say, relate to God and to one another like this, in these specific ways. And we're not just talking about sex. We're talking about our whole lives. It's our money. It's our time. It's our ambition. It's our pursuit of comfort. It's our desire for control. It's our selfishness. It's our habits. It's everything. And you might say, well, I don't find my, this particular thing addressed specifically. But I guarantee you that the heart that is, that is underneath everything we do is addressed in scripture, and God has something to say about it. And if that's true, this means that when we pray, your will be done. That is not a prayer to take lightly. It's not a prayer 
You know, like I said, this is the most famous prayer in the world. It's been the prayer that has been repeated more than any other prayer. And yet we're seeing here that this is something that we can't just say out of routine. We're inviting Jesus into our lives when we pray, your will be done, to examine us and to make a claim on us, to tell us to stop doing certain things and to start doing other things. And really, this is what prayer is. This is what all of prayer is. Daryl Guder, he says, prayer is not about getting what we want, the fulfillment of our will. It's, it's about learning what God wants, the bending of our will to God's will. This is the kind of prayer that Jesus is teaching us, that he's calling us into a prayer that leads to a life of actively pursuing God's will on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. So praying your will be done should lead to a life of pursuing God's will. It will also lead to a life of receiving God's will. So this we could call this the passive side of prayer, or what's called passive Obedience. It's learning to yield the parts of our lives that don't make sense to us. The circumstances that are beyond our control. This is learning how to rest in the mystery of God's secret will. The plans and the purposes that we cannot see. Where we feel like a fog has come on us and we can't see why is this happening. I don't even know what is happening. We're learning to receive God's will. And there are many examples of this in Scripture, but one that I love is is something I just read this morning actually in Luke chapter 1. Jesus' mother, Mary, she's visited by the angel Gabriel, brings the message You have found favor with God. He's chosen you to be the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. You're going to have a baby, Mary. It's like, okay. And she asks a very reasonable question. How can this happen? Because I've I've never slept with a man. Seems physically impossible. Okay, reasonable question, I think. And the angel says, this is going to be God's work. Because this is God's will. The Holy Spirit will conceive this child and what seems impossible for men is not impossible for God, for nothing is impossible with God. Here's her response in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What is she saying here? Your will be done. Your will be done in my life. And it's not because she's been given all the answers. That answer from Gabriel doesn't like cross all the T's and dot the I's for her. But it's enough for her to know I can receive God's will for my life. I can, I can accept God's will for my life. She yields her life to the purposes of God. And it's not without pain. Right? We know that Mary must have suffered the loss of her reputation at the very least among people. There goes that girl who couldn't wait till she was married to Joseph. And it's probably a reputation that followed her for her entire life. 
she had to have a conversation with her fiance. Awkward, right? Hey, how was your day? <laughs> uh, well, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, nothing is impossible with God, they say, right? <laughs> but underneath all of that, what's, what's driving Mary? Let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in me. For, for her prayer, her acceptance is saying, I willingly accept all of this for me, even though I don't fully understand it. Now, each one of us have experienced difficult situations or we're currently walking through really difficult situations or we will one day soon walk through something very difficult. It could be illness, it can be infertility, uh, the death of someone that we love, it could be unmet expectations, it can be the crumbling of a marriage, the loss of a job. I mean, that list is so long. And in each and every difficulty we face, where we do not understand what is happening, we feel this pull to blame God, right? To say, what are you doing? And we ask that or we say that in all kinds of ways. If God is sovereign, that's, that's going to be the end of our complaint, right? He's, he is the manager that we keep asking to talk to. If this all ultimately comes back to him, then, then what do we do with that? How do we ask those questions? And it's beautiful for us to see in Scripture that there's a place for us to come to God, like Mary. Here's a question I have. I have a follow-up question to this, this thing that's going to happen. We can bring our complaints. We can bring our lament. We can bring our sadness. We can bring our pain. There's There's ample evidence in scripture that there's a place for us to do that. But to pray your will be done is ultimately to say, I receive and I accept your plan for my life. You are God. You are good in all that you do. And you have a plan and you have a purpose. I don't understand what it is. I don't know. And this is the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but your will be done in my life, even when I don't understand why. John Newton was a pastor, and he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that some of you may know. Uh, When his wife was really ill, he wrote in his journal, what you will, when you will, how you will. That's receiving God's will. That's learning to accept God's will. So we've seen that to pray your will be done means to pursue God's will for us through obedience and to receive God's will through acceptance. But there's, there's really one last issue that we must confront or, or face, that in order to pray this prayer, to, to truly pray this prayer, we must absolutely trust the one that we're talking to. If I do not trust the one who establishes the way things are supposed to be, I will rebel and I will chafe against the rules, right? And, and you could just insert your, your memories of teenage angst here, right? right? It has to do mainly with trust, right? And if I do not trust that the one who governs all things is good and has my best interest in mind, I will be anxious, 
And I will try to take away whatever it is. I'll try to control things. I'll try to take the wheel, right? Because, because I don't trust that the one who's in control is good. So how can I learn to trust God's will for my life? You can learn to trust God's will for your life by looking to the one who is teaching us to pray this. Jesus didn't just teach us to pray your will be done. He himself prayed this way and he himself lived this way. He constantly talks about his desire. His, everything that drives him is to do the will of the Father. I only do what he tells me to do, right? And on the night before his death on the cross for us, we find Jesus with his disciples, the ones that he taught to pray. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I don't know about you, but I am so comforted by the fact that Jesus himself, the Son of God, who perfectly fulfilled the will of God, prayed like this, that he was overwhelmed in this moment with the magnitude of what was coming. Because he wasn't just facing death, he was facing the weight of bearing God's holy fury and wrath against the sin of the world, against your sin and mine, that he would be separated from fellowship with his Father. And he prays this once, he prays it twice, he prays it three times, Matthew says. Another way, a different path. If anyone knows what it's like to wrestle with God's will, it's Jesus. But what does he come back to? Even though I don't want this, it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. Your will be done. So the reason we can pray your will be done is because Jesus has already gone ahead of us. Jesus has faced the darkness of death. Jesus has faced the painful consequences of our sin. Jesus has faced the evil of injustice. Jesus has faced the hatred of our enemy. And he did not turn away. He did not shrink back at the last. He paid the penalty for our sin. He walked the hard road. He won our victory on the cross. So he prayed your will be done. And then he perfectly obeyed God's will. He gave himself to death, even death on a cross. Now, you and I cannot do that. We cannot do that. We are unable to perfectly obey, to perfectly fulfill God's will. And we can't perfectly accept God's purposes for our lives. We will always rebel and resist in some way. But the message of the gospel says Jesus has already done this for you. He's already done this on your behalf. And this is a God that we can trust. This is a God that we, that we can pray this to 
with confidence and with hope. This is a Savior that we can give our lives to. This is a a Lord that we can submit to and say that even though this is difficult, even though it's going to require me to give so much, I can trust you. I can always trust you. And Jesus is the only one who's worthy of that kind of trust. So because that's true, this is, this is the question that I can leave you with. You can ask yourself in reflection, what, in what specific ways is God calling me to pray for his will to be done in my life? And you can begin to ask God that. What areas of my life have I been holding back? What, what are the places in my life that I do not want to surrender What limitations or circumstances do I need to accept? What control do I need to yield? How can I pattern my life after Jesus? And then pray for God's will to be done in your life. Spend spend time in the scriptures. Spend loads of time in the scriptures. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Then, then go to the scriptures because that's where God has shown you his will. Spend time in the scriptures. Spend time in prayer. Dive into community with God's people and pursue a holy life together. I'll close with a prayer from John Wesley. Jesus, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, a wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen.